today too, wasn't it? I thought I heard Skylar singing. Were you singing out loud? I thought I could hear you from over there. You did good. Just let your daddy keep bringing you up there. There's Tyler. There he is. Y'all pray for Tyler tomorrow. Tomorrow night, he'll be preaching at our executive board meeting. Is the right word? Preaching? Huh? Okay. So he's going to let everybody know about our New Orleans trip for next year. And uh, so y'all be in prayer for him. Um, Joel, can you flip back to that screen, the, the Bible verse before this? Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And last week we did uh, 1 through 3. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, uh, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today. We just pray that we might learn more about how we may intercess for Uh, our nation, our family, and offer up prayers of forgiveness for ourselves. Father, we pray today for for the executive board meeting tomorrow, and especially Tyler, as he spends a little time speaking and uh, testifying to what happened last week and inviting people to join us this next coming year uh, so folks might hear about the good news of the gospel uh, in that place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So today we're looking at intercession with God, and you'll see a number one in your bulletin because there's going to be a number two that follows, uh, and I believe next week is intercession uh, with man. So today we're going to learn about three basic things from this passage of Scripture, and oh my, it is raining outside. Michael, you're really going to get wet again like you did last time, remember that? So if you're making notes in your bulletin, uh, we're going to learn about three major truths regarding intercession with God today from this scripture. You'll see two main sub-points in your your notes with some little uh, points off of that, but the three that we're going to learn about specifically are our attitude prior to intercession. We need to have a right attitude prior to intercession. Our attitude during intercession. And also, we need to remember that 
God is holy, and when we approach Him, we need to approach Him as such. That He is holy, that He is righteous, that we're imperfect, and, and you know, we don't need to fret and worry about our words. You, you ever listen to that deacon pray or that pastor, and you think, I have to pray like that? You know, as a, as a new Christian, you all remember some of that? Forget about that, right? Or as they say in New Jersey, in New York, forget about it. Right? God knows your heart, but know in your heart that He is holy and desires our respect for that. So the first uh, truth we're going to look at in the first um, principle and interesting point whoops, is from verse 4 is Nehemiah's initial reaction. So we see the report come back from his brother and, and these guys that Jerusalem, the walls are crushed, the the stones are kicked down. The exiles who are living there are, are really struggling. It's, it's a place that, you know, their forefathers wouldn't have recognized right there in Jerusalem. And so we see his initial reaction in verse 4. Nehemiah sat down and wept. He sat down and wept. Now, when we read things like this, we think to ourselves, you know, you've, you've cried before. You've had something in your life where you've just broken down in tears and and you didn't know what else to do but cry, right? For guys, it's a little harder. Uh, Christy has seen me cry less than five times, probably. Probably. Uh, men, we, we're kind of tough, right? So we read this and we think, all right, if, if, I, if I'm following this scripture and treating God as a holy God and a righteous God, am, am I supposed to sit down and cry? Is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? Well, if we, if we look at Scripture and history, this is customary, right? Everything they did back in the day said something about what they were doing and, and who they are. So he sat down and wept. Uh, you can listen to this, or if you're a fast Bible turner, you can turn quickly with me. Uh, we're going to look at Ezra 9.3, but if you're not super, super fast, you can go ahead and listen, okay? Ezra 9.3. Mama Betty and Norman, they have those printed out. Anybody else want it printed out? They're a dollar a piece. All right? They get it free, but anybody else, it's a dollar. And you can't give the dollar to the church. You give it to me. Okay, I'll use my own copy paper and whatnot. It'll keep me from doing all this extra work. I don't mind doing it for them, but anybody else. Unless you have to have it, right? They have to have it. Ezra 9. See, that would, that would give you enough time to find it right there. Ezra 9, 3, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard, and I sat down appalled. So if we're going to look at Scripture and say, well, I've got to sit down and weep, when's the last time that we've torn our clothing and we've pulled our hair from our beard? Can you imagine Big Mike pulling chunks of hair out of his beard? You know? Yeah, he'd look like some of the guys if they actually tried to grow a full beard. You know what I'm saying? All spotty, and they're like, I don't care if I'm here. They got the, must, like the 1980s police officer mustache that I keep threatening my wife that I'm going to grow. Yeah, I'm going to grow that. And Corey will take it and put it on top of his, it'll be like a, a Corey Hendricks weave. <laughs> so he tore his tunic and his cloak, he pulled hair. In, in, back in the day, this was a, you'd look at somebody who was doing that, and you'd say, this, there's something going on in their life. Right? They wouldn't just like, they weren't just going to pull their hair. I remember when Maya and Joel were little, and I would like, in the wintertime, I would have my beard, 
and uh, I'd be at home, so I'd have my shirt off, or I'd be having a t-shirt on or something like that, and they'd grab. They just want to grab whatever they can. They'd grab facial hair, chest hair, armpit hair, whatever they could, and then do what kids do best, yank it out. So this is what's going on right here, but this is an expression of sorrow, deep sorrow. Job 2, 8. Now, if there's anybody who's going to be sitting down and weeping, tearing clothes and ripping of the beard, it might be Job. Job 2, 8. Then we'll look at verse 13. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery. Now listen to this. He scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. When's the last time you were in such sorrow that you went and broke a coral dish at your house, Pyrex something or another, and started scraping yourself with it. Now we'd call that a psychological sickness, and we'd take you to the hospital. Right? Don't do that thing. Well, it says so in Job 2.8 that I'm supposed to break some pottery and scrape myself. Well, you're not in ashes, so let's do it all if we're going to do it, right? Job 2.13 Then he sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Y'all ever go to the funeral home and somebody is suffering and crying so bad that the only thing that you can do is just sit with them? You just sit with them. Put your arm around them. What do you say? What do you say? You don't say anything. That's the hardest part when we go to the funeral home and somebody is or at their house when they're really struggling because we think we've got to say something. We don't go sometimes because we don't know what to say. So instead of that idea, say, just let's, let me just go and I, I don't know what to say. I'm a pastor. I've been to school. I've been pastoring for X amount of years. And guys, there are times when I go and I talk with somebody and I don't know what to say. There was the time when me and Brother John Schulte went to the Larkins' home um, after Logan passed. And do you know what me and John did? We just stood there. We hugged him. We stood there. What do you say? There's nothing that you can say. Check out his initial reaction right here in Nehemiah's. The sin of the people so greatly affected him that he's sitting down weeping. The people are leaving him be, letting him go. The report from Hanani was so bad that all he could do was weep, sit there and weep. Now, in our culture, what do we see men do when they're so in angst about something? They're going to curse, right? As I, or as I say it, they're going to say words. Um... Now, if you, if you bump your head, like in the parsonage, we've got the, um, the garage door that comes up, and it goes, you know, it goes onto that metal hangy thingy. I don't know what you call it. It's about six foot one in there, so I don't, I don't hit it. The guys that were working on the house the other day, they're like 6'2", six 6'3". Six he gashed his head wide open on that. And I walked in there, he had a washcloth on his head. And I said, are you all right? He said, it hurts, but I'm okay. I wasn't there when he did it. But I bet you he said words. And then he was probably like, oh, I'm in the parsonage. I probably shouldn't say words. 
But men do that, right? They say words, and they use, men use violence. We'll say words, and we'll use violence before we will sit and cry, especially in front of people. Guys, there's nothing wrong with sitting down and having a good cry. Mike, I see that look. You can do it. Just don't do it every day. Right? You know, if, if it happens, Mike, we'll gather around you, we'll love on you. But if it happens every week, you'll just say to the visitors who come, that's just what he does. <laughs> don't give him any attention. Right? He cries at the drop of a hat. Love him, but he's so emotional. So he sat and wept. So that you can fill that in if you like. The next one is, Nehemiah mourned. He fasted and prayed for days. This was an expressive act. Now, back in the day, they would actually hire people to come and do the mourning, Right? We don't do that today, but we all know somebody that you could probably hire to cry at a drop of a hat, like Big Mike. Right? Give him five bucks and say, hey, come on over tomorrow night, and I need you to, you know, something, something bad really happened, and as soon as you open the door, just start crying. Right? But it's an expressive thing. In some cultures, mourn more than other cultures do. I know in our Anglo-American culture, we're kind of quiet about our mourning. We'll cry a little bit. We, we're not really loud. The African-American culture's quite a bit louder than us. They're very expressive with their mourning. But we see here that Nehemiah mourned. He fasted. We love fasting, right? You guys fast about once a week? Yeah, amen, right? We've got to work up to it, right? Next week, I'm going to fast for real this time. I said it last week, but I'm going to do it, right? And we'll fast from like chocolate or coffee or the TV. Why? Because it's easy, right? It's easy. Now, the Jews here, they were only required to fast during the Day of Atonement, the time of atonement. So this is serious for them. He is mourning. He's weeping. He's giving up food. He's praying for days. We have a hard time praying for five minutes. Here's Nehemiah praying for days. I would love for somebody to come to me and say, you know what, Toby? I'm not depressed. I feel down. I'm not depressed. But I feel pushed, pressed, impressed upon to just kind of mourn and fast and pray for a few days. Right? Don't worry about me for a little bit, but I'm in such distress about this thing. I know what depression feels like, but I'm in mourning over this. Could you imagine if we were in mourning over the condition of our nation like Nehemiah was? And what that looked like if our spiritual leaders were in mourning over our condition of our nation? What we might do, we might fast a little bit. Let me give you a caveat to that. Go to the doctor and ask him before you do that. All right, I don't want you going home and saying, Brother Toby said we need to mourn and fast and pray for days, and then you go pass out and die, and the family blames it on me because you're a diabetic or something. Right? So go, go to the doctor and ask about that. We also see Nehemiah's response to God. This is verses 5 through 11. Check out verse 5. He addressed God 
respectfully. He addressed God respectfully. Look at these phrases that he used when he addressed God. He says, great and awesome. Great and awesome. Here's what we do. Well, Father God, I just want to pray for this day and uh, just take care of all sick people. Um, just uh, take care of his food. Y'all ever pray before your food when you're eating Doritos and Pepsi and pizza and ask God to bless that as nourishment in your body? I do that, and then I'm like, is this biblical? It's junk, right? I should say, God, thank you for this junk that I have every now and again. I'm just so thankful that I can have a pizza and a Dorito and a Pepsi. I know it's empty calories, and I know eating too much of this is terrible, right? Or at least we're being honest with God. But we're so flippant with our prayers. Y'all hear it? Any prayer requests? Yeah, let's pray for all the sick people. And what do I say? Y'all know by now. No, we're not praying for all the sick people. There are billions of sick people, and I'm not going to sit here and pray for all the sick people right now. Does it make sense? So what do we do? Pray for a sick person. Who's in your life who's sick? And then actually pray in such a way that we show that we care about them. These blanket prayer requests that we get, they don't do any good for the person. They don't do any good for us spiritually because we're not going to do it. Great and awesome is God. God wants to heal that person who's sick. Let's lift that person up to him expecting that they might get healed in such a way that we love them, that we show the person that we're praying for, hey, I, I don't know this person. I hear, the, I hear the concern that you have for them. My God is a great and awesome God, and I want to lift that person up in Jesus' name that they might get healed. He says, the God who keeps his covenant, the God who remembers, right? A lot of us think that there's this God out there who started everything, and then he kind of like gave it a soccer kick, and there it goes. It's on its own, right? He just kind of gave it a boot and let it go. That's not how it works. He's a personal, loving God who cares about us. Look at what he did with the children of Israel. He made a covenant with them. Do you remember the Abrahamic covenant where they took and they cut that cow? And guess who walked between it saying, I'm going to keep this covenant? What wasn't Abraham. It's God. Let this happen to me, splitting the cow, if I break this. The God who keeps his covenant. If you're a child of God, you're here today, you're born again, God has made a covenant with you. You don't have to wake up every night in that angst. Am I really saved? If I were to die today, is, am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go to hell? God has taken care of that through his son, Jesus. That is what the covenant is based on. Him sending his son. If I were to sacrifice something so great as my kids for you, you better believe whatever I said that I sent my kids to do in your place, that I am going to take care of that. God did this through Christ for us, that we might have redemption 
through his blood. And we don't have to wake up in the middle of the night. Let me put this down. And wring our hands about it. You don't know how many times I talk to people who say, if I, if I ask them, are you born again? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they'll say, I, I think so. That means they're wringing their hands at night. I think I do. Really? He did it. We are born again. We come before God. He keeps his covenant. And as born again believers, we're to address him respectfully. Father, thank you so much for taking care of my sin through your son. Instead of, well, Lord, I thank you for taking care of my sin. Thank you, thank you for nailing your son to the cross. Really? Someone died that you might have freedom to live now and forever. Oh, that we might come before God with just a grateful heart. Remember I talked a few weeks ago about, um, what, what was it exactly? The church needs some more, um, we need the Pooh characters. We need some more Tiggers and need less what? Eeyores, right? Wouldn't, we, wouldn't it be great we wake up with a smile, thanking God for what he's done rather than, well, I guess God, you give me another day today. Mark that off calendar. One less to live. Right? Terrible. It's disrespectful to our God. And notice how people talk about our God. Christians do this. OMG. That is blasphemy. That is taking God's name in vain. Whenever Christians do that, we should say, hey, I know what you mean, but can you not please not do that? When folks say, geez, Instead of Jesus. They're taking God's name in vain. How about this? Well, the man upstairs. Are you kidding me? You mean almighty God who gave you life and breath? The man upstairs? Really? Address God respectfully. Nehemiah does this. I've been reading and listening about Thomas Watson. He was a famous Puritan. And he wrote a book on the Ten Commandments. And here's what he said regarding the third commandment in Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not, let me read 20, 20 verse 7, then I'll read what he says. 20, verse 7 says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This includes OMG, the man upstairs, and G's, all those things, right? This is taking the name of the Lord in vain. Here's what Watson says. This commandment has two parts. Number one, a negative expressed. That we must not take God's name in vain. That is, cast any reflections and dishonor on his name. Now we get that, right? That we shouldn't do any of that. And number two, an affirmation implied. That we should take care to reverence and honor his name. That's what's implied here. That we not do something but also that we do something, that we take care to honor his name. And part of honoring his name is saying to your friend, hey man, you might not know any better, but that's what you just said wasn't honoring God. And and I just wanted to point that out because you're a believer and you might not know that, right? Just in love. Non-believers who say that stuff, you might use that as an opportunity to witness and to share your faith. 
that, hey, you know, I, I know that doesn't bother you, uh, but I'm a Christian and you're talking about my God and my Father. Uh, can I share with you a little bit about how I came to know Him? And maybe they will, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll take, tell you to take a hike. I don't know. Uh, but he is, Nehemiah is showing us a wonderful example that we need to reverence and honor God's name. And in our society, we need to do a little better further than that. Uh, kids need to respect their parents. This is honoring God's name. Uh, employees need to respect their bosses. Sometimes that hits us right between the eyes, right? Because my boss is too, you don't know my boss. The Bible says it doesn't matter that we're to respect our boss. Here's another one we have a hard time with. Anyone who's in authority. Josh Slayton down here. Is that his name? Slayton? Last name? The mayor? He's not paid. He's a volunteer mayor. You would not believe the emails and social messages that he gets on behalf of the city. A volunteer mayor. And we can't take the time to respect a gentleman who volunteers to do something that none of us want to do. But we'll take and send nasty, hateful comments to him that he needs to take care of this for free? You kidding me? How about we help him out? Same thing with our Kentucky offices, our national offices, and and so on. Respect those in authority. Verses 5, 8, and 10, and 11. He reminded God of the covenant he made. Let's look at verse 5 from Nehemiah 1. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. He's reminding him of this. Verse 8, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's what happened, right? He's recognizing this. Nehemiah 1, 10, and 11. They're your servants, your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. Look at these phrases that we see in 5, 8, and 10, and 11. He who keeps his covenant of love. He loves his people. How How could a loving God send people to hell? Well, he doesn't send anybody. We're deserving of it. And because of that love, we're separated. He says, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Yes, it's what happened. We remember this. Then he says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. These people are your servants. That's like the church today. We've got wheat and tares. right? What did God say to let, let happen to those wheat and tares? Let them grow together. Who's going to do the reaping and separating? Jesus is going to do it. Right? We're going to honor him. I don't know. I don't have a Holy Spirit detector. Right? That I can scan. Wouldn't that be awesome that I could scan and go, oh, oh, no. Right? That's why they act that way. But what does Galatians say? What's our Holy Spirit detector from Galatians? Fruits of the Spirit, right? Kind of gives us a good indication. But look at the covenant that God has made with us. Look at Hebrews 13.5. 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And then we get caught up in all this other stuff. He will never leave us or forsake us. But what we do to him when we go off to these other things, we're leaving him. He doesn't want to do that to us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. It will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you ever lay awake at night thinking, and you're wringing your hands, and you're thinking, am I born again or not? Go to 1 John 1, 9. Read this. He is faithful and just. He does what he said. The problem lies with us. Did we do what we said we were going to do? Did we repent of our sins and turn to Christ? Maybe we really didn't. And we're kind of wringing our hands about it. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friends, he made a covenant with you and I. He intends to keep it. We need to honor him when we come before him in prayer and anything else for the wonderful God he is. Verses 6 through 7 Nehemiah confessed sin. He confessed sin. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. Now notice these sins that he's confessing. He's confessing the national sins. When's the last time that we've bowed before God of the universe and said, God, I am sorry for the sins of our nation. Look what we have done. Taken responsibility for all that has gone out. I'm sorry for whatever I did for my hand in this. For the way I used to think. Maybe I told people and they kind of espoused what I used to think and I don't anymore and I caused someone to sin. His own sin coming before God with the sins that we have, saying, Father, I'm sorry for what I've done. I knowingly or unknowingly have sinned against you. He also recognizes the sins of his fathers, his family. He said, man, I I didn't do it, but look how it's affected me. I want to apologize for the house of Judah, my dad, my granddad. I don't want to live like that. I want to live for you. The question I have for you today is this. Do we have such reverence for God that when we come before Him, that we recognize that He is righteous, He is holy, that we don't do the flippant prayers that we do? God, I just pray that You'll take care of all the sick people and all the lost people. We do that one too. Rather than praying for a lost person by name, and then maybe God working on us that we we may witness to them, we just want to pray for all the lost people. I pray that we would ask forgiveness of that. Say, God, help me not to do this anymore. Help me to recognize when I do sit down and have a meal that God gave me this meal, even if it's pizza, Doritos, and a Coke. Empty calories, but you know what God did? He gave you the money to buy those empty calories. I like a good pizza, and I think God likes me liking that good pizza. Just not every day. Thank God for it. Christian, this gives us some Something to think about, doesn't it? How are we treating our Lord God? 
non-Christian, if you're here today and you know you're lost, you know you're not born again, you don't have a relationship with Christ, you lay awake almost every night, wringing your hands about whether it, when you die, will you spend eternity in heaven or will you spend your eternity in hell? The good news of the gospel is that although we've sinned, we've broken God's law, that there is forgiveness in Christ. You believe what Jesus did on the cross for you. You repent of your sins. You confess Him as Lord and Savior. And He, through the Holy Spirit, will change your life and implant in you a desire to live for Him. If this is you today, during our time of invitation, I want you to come and say, Toby, I can't do this anymore. I've been wringing my fingers and my hands. Uh, what else do I do besides what you said? And that's, that's really it. You have to pray to repent. And I can, I can help you with that. I can show you some scripture verses. If you'd like to come and pray at the altar during our uh, time of closing or, or chat with me after church, I'd be glad to do that as well. Lord, we love you. I thank you for this time. And uh, as our musicians come and we get ready to sing our, our final um, hymn, of the, hymn of the day, I pray that we may, be, we may ponder who you are, the greatness of you, that when we come before you, we might not do it so flippantly, recognizing that you are a great and awesome and mighty, forgiving God. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today is the day that they would turn from their sin and turn toward you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.